Well, hello and uh, welcome to the CSF January monthly podcast. This month we've uploaded three papers to the CSF website, but today I'm only going to focus on two of those. Now, the first one is a paper that looks at changes in lymphocyte subsets in people with rheumatoid arthritis treated with baricitinib. And the principal author here is uh, Yoshia Tanaka, who works in uh, the University of Occupational Environmental Health in Japan. Now, the background you need here, well, baricitinib is obviously a, a JAK inhibitor, a JAK1-2 inhibitor that has been associated with changes in lymphocytes and lymphocyte subset numbers in people receiving the drug. But we haven't until now seen a detailed analysis of these effects, nor do we have any real sense of whether the changes have any meaningful relationship to efficacy or, or safety. So specifically, this study looks at changes in lymphocyte cell subsets during baricitinib treatment, and it then correlates those with changes in clinical outcomes. The key methodologies, well, it's data pooled from three phase three trials, RA-BEAM, RA-BUILD, and RA-BEACON, and one phase three long-term extension study, RA-BEYOND, and the, the data compared with placebo. Now, there were some exclusion criteria and permanent discontinuation uh, included a, an abnormal lymphocyte count of less than 750 cells per microliter and less than 200 cells per microliter, respectively. Whole blood samples were collected at week zero, week four, week 12, somewhere between weeks 24 and 32, 48 and 52, and 96 and 104. That's to accommodate some variation in study visits. And there's a Beckman-Coulter cell counter analysis for total lymphocyte count and lymphocyte subsets were analysed using a BD-FAX Canto flow cytometer and a previously optimised panel. Now, FAX analysis, for those of you unfamiliar with it, is a, a flow-based method. Cells are passed in front of a laser having been previously labelled with fluorescent antibodies against specific targets. And the, the BD multi-test, six-colour TBNK reagent identifies CD4, CD8 T cells, B cells and NK cells. And it does so using very specific cellular binding antibodies that have a fluorescent signal that's detected by the fax machine. Now the statistical approaches here are quite complex and I'd refer you to the paper for details. It was a restricted maximum likelihood based mixed model. Um, the covariance structures were auto and heterogeneous autoregressive with compound symmetry and toplitz matrix. Uh, they used the Fisher's exact test, uh, analysis of covariance, uh, type 3 sums of squares, and a weighted Pearson's correlation coefficient and its p-value. And all of those were applied to different elements of the analysis, which you'll see as you go through the manuscript in detail. Now, the key results, well, baricitinib treatment was associated with an early transient increase in circulating total lymphocyte, uh, T-cell count, and, and significant increases also in B-cells at week four at both two and four milligram per day doses. Now, what's important is those return to or even decrease below baseline by week 12 and through weeks 24 and 32. NK cells a little different, significantly increased temporarily at week four with baricitinib treatment compared to placebo, but decreased below baseline by week 12 all the way through week 24 to 32. Now, compared to patients who never experienced a low NK cell count during placebo, increases in frequency of herpes zoster infection was seen in the baricitinib 4 milligrams per day group. That rate was 2.1%. However, the rates of serious infection were similar amongst the three groups.
So what do we conclude here? Well, lymphocyte subset changes were largely within normal reference ranges, and they were consistent across the baricitinib phase three rheumatoid clinical trial program. There isn't a strong association of lymphocyte changes with efficacy and safety endpoints, and the long-term kinetics of these anal analyses of continued baricitinib treatment and clinical correlations really need to be evaluated. In particular, we, we don't really understand why these changes are occurring yet, whether it's a change in lymphocyte recirculation, their synthesis, or even maturation. So much work to be done, but at the moment, I think for the clinical uh, part of our lives, simply to observe these changes and to stick with the labelled indications for drug discontinuation when values fall below a given level. Now, the second paper I'd like to highlight is a study investigating the safety of tofacitinib as monotherapy and in combination therapy. And the lead author here is Alan Kivitz from Altoona Centre for Clinical Research in Pennsylvania. Now, I think you will be aware that in trials in people with rheumatoid arthritis, tofacitinib at 5 and 10 milligrams BID has been shown to be an effective therapy with a reasonable safety proposition. It's generally administered as monotherapy or in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs. Now, this is a post hoc pooled analysis of tofacitinib data from phase three studies in people with rheumatoid arthritis to further examine the safety profile of tofa 5 and 10 milligrams BID used either as monotherapy or, as I say, in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs. The pooled data from six phase three double-blind randomized controlled trials uh, were also stratified by administration of tofacitinib as monotherapy or in combination and by glucocorticoid use at baseline. We've seen from prior studies that glucocorticoids are a confounding influence in the likelihood of an adverse event in people receiving JAK inhibitors. Uh, two studies evaluated tofacitinib as monotherapy, oral solo and oral start, and four studies evaluated tofacitinib in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs. That's oral sync, oral standard, oral scan, and oral step. Number of safety endpoints uh, evaluated, serious adverse events, discontinuation due to adverse events, serious infection events, opportunistic infections, uh, herpes zoster, and also malignancies, major adverse cardiovascular events, MACE, and gastrointestinal perforations. And in addition, there were some very select laboratory analyses uh, reported in this paper, evaluated at month three through month 12. And these concerned LDL, HDL, total cholesterol, and triglycerides, and also hemoglobin, neutrophils, and lymphocytes. And that's because we've seen changes in those parameters in the phase three trial program so far. Now, the statistical analysis, again, it's a complex analysis, and I, I refer you back to the paper for details. But the incidence rate was calculated for the entire tofacitinib treatment period. 95% confidence intervals were generated using the exact Poisson method. And exposure was calculated up to the first event for patients with events or up to the discontinuation for those who did not experience an event. And the selected safety endpoints were stratified per the use of glucocorticoids at baseline and by glucocorticoid dose at baseline, the latter because it does look as if dose really matters in terms of the likelihood of particularly infectious events. Now, the key results, patients receiving tofacitinib as monotherapy had numerically lower incidence rates for selected adverse events of interest. That included SAEs, discontinuations due to adverse events, herpes zoster, and serious infection events. 
and that was compared to the combination therapy group, irrespective of tofacitinib uh, dose or glucocorticoid use. Now, IRs were low and not statistically different between TOFA combination and monotherapy groups for death, TB, opportunistic infections, MACE, malignancy, uh, or lymphoma. Upper respiratory tract infection was the most frequent treatment emergent adverse event, leading to discontinuation in TOFA monotherapy and combination therapy groups. And patients receiving monotherapy had slightly numerically higher mean changes from baseline in total cholesterol compared with its respective combination therapy arm. Well, the implications here, the incidence rates for adverse events were generally similar between patients receiving tofacitinib as a monotherapy or in combination. Uh, there were selected adverse events of interest, herpes zoster and serious infection events, which showed lower incidence rates with non-overlapping 95% confidence interval for tofacitinib or monotherapy versus combination therapy. And it's possible, therefore, that tofacitinib monotherapy may have fewer safety events compared with combination, although I think we need to see more data in this regard. If that's true, then that would suggest that there was a favourable risk benefit profile in patients with active RA who were intolerant to conventional synthetic DMARDs. Please don't forget that all the content discussed in this podcast is available in more detailed slide format in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. And please subscribe to our podcast channel. Let us know what you think by reviewing our podcasts. I hope this information has been helpful to you and I wish you the very best in your clinical practice.